Public Intellectual is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. You can find my show and more original work at foreverdogpodcast.com. And as a reminder, Public Intellectual has a Patreon. And in exchange for a small monthly donation, because we live under late capitalism, we will give you some more stuff. Some written stuff with show notes, some physical stuff with the inevitable tote bag of doom, and some now some audio stuff with bonus episodes featuring conversations with myself and my friends and some of the guests with what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're loving, and of course, what we are hating. So head on over to patreon.com slash public intellectual today and sign up. The town where I used to live, Beacon, New York, did not have a hardware store until very recently it did not have a bookstore, but it did have three witch shops. Witch shops, new age shops, it's hard to tell the difference anymore, but you know what I mean. A place with herbs, crystals, tarot card readings, banish bad energy do-it-yourself kits, a lot of really ugly mass-produced candles. When I moved there, it had one witch shop. When I left three years later, because mercifully I was allowed to leave Beacon, it had three. I've been gone for about two months or so, so that number could possibly have doubled. Which is to say, there is a strong market for witchcraft these days. You can take courses for hundreds of dollars to teach you how to do binding spells. You can take workshops on divination techniques like the tarot from people who also just recently took their first workshop on the subject themselves. And you will, of course, have to pay them an extraordinary amount of money for their so-called wisdom. You can go on Etsy and find any number of shops selling spell work, herbal cures of dubious origin, and psychic readings. Now, I believe in paying people for their time, their expertise, and their assistance. I do readings for money, and I am happy to pay people when I go to them for readings. But there's a difference between people who devote their lives to study and the spiritual path and people who are responding to an opportunity on the market. And witchcraft is a huge market these days, as astrology, tarot, crystals, and herbal medicine enter the mainstream. We're talking with Caitlin Foisey, a writer, artist, and witch, about what happens when a religion and a serious spiritual practice becomes commodified. So witchcraft, or a sort of vague witchiness, uh, seems to be trendy in this way that it's now being used to sell us stuff. And it's not quite on the level of, um, you know, Wells Fargo using the gay pride flag as a way of finding new victims for their uh, for their fraud. But um, it's close to that. I, w- I was reading today, Whole Foods has these what they call elixirs. And the tagline is, you know, before big pharma, there was big forest, which seems such a commodification of witchcraft. Um, But yeah, it it does seem to be a sort of um, becoming much more 
corporate. I was wondering if you if you've noticed this as well. I have. I mean, any store that you go into now, I mean, years ago, you wouldn't be able to find anything. Maybe on Halloween, you'd be able to find some things. But um, (laughs) now it seems to be every day. So they have, you know, you can walk into like a grocery store and there'll be sprays that will take away bad energy or bad vibes or are supposed to kind of like get psychic vampires away or something like that. And it's just like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like I thought, you know, parents, when kids are small, you know, make up these like scary monster under the bed spray, but it seems to be a reality now. (laughs) They probably sell that with like a sage, a sage spray for, you know, your child's under the bed monster. I'm sure someone has that. I'm pretty sure if we Google that, it is true. (laughs) (laughs) But Yeah, I mean, I've noticed it a lot, Um, and especially, too, with the internet now and and certain websites and all of these, like, occult stores sort of popping up. It's gotten very popular in the last few years, and I've noticed that there is a lot of people just sort of jumping on that bandwagon and either selling products or selling... um, services. And it's just like, oh, well, this is easy. Like I've taken this class on tarot. I've taken this class on tassiography. And now I'm an expert and I'm going to go sell this because this is what makes money. And, you know, all of these corporations too are sort of like jumping on the bandwagon as well. And just being like, well, great. If this is selling and it's like Instagram worthy, then, you know, we're going to do this too. And it will get us the likes and the, the customers and the clientele and it sort of lost the roots in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know like growing up and being taught by my grandmother, my grandmother hid all of this stuff. You know, she came over from World War II. She was part Romani gypsy. And I mean, obviously she's not going to tell anyone. Like, you know, she's like <laughs> straight here from Austria. Like first off, she's being called Bertha and being told she's a Nazi. When meanwhile, she's like trying to, you know, come over here and you know, start this life and give a better life to her children. So, you know, growing up, I had no clue that, you know, what she was doing was out of the norm. And, you know, to see something that I grew up as a part of and, you know, had to work really hard to kind of incorporate it into my life without being sort of like looked at like I was crazy. I mean, in a way, it's nice that, I can actually talk about things and open and people aren't like totally thinking I'm a nut job, but um, <laughs> in other ways, it's just sort of like, wait a minute, like, where did the roots go to this? Where, you know, it, it's getting to the point where anyone is a teacher now, anyone is a life coach, anyone can make a potion or a brew and just decide like, oh, I looked on mine and Sage is great for this. So I'm just going to like make this spray and we're going to sell it. And that's what's going to, you know, be our legacy or whatever it is. Yeah, everything has sage in it. Everything, everything has sage in it these days. But um, and I and I don't mean to just sort of um, vomit all over the sort of Etsy girls with their witchcraft stores. But um, oh. because I, you know, I use I use I use Etsy. <laughs> I've bought some oh. some products on Etsy. Um, but, it, you know, over the last sort of 10 years, you would see um, the sort of witchy stores 
becoming much more professional, much more um, branded. And, you know, they hired people to design a logo for them and all this kind of stuff, Um, which I understand that we live in a capitalist society and a bitch has got to eat. But um, there is a thing of like, um, certainly the people I was turning to, you know, 20 years ago, um, for services and products and so on, um, they're not the ones who are profiting off of what's going on right now. Now it seems like, you know, right, like you said, like you take one class um, and then you think that you can make something or teach something um, and you understand how to function so much better under capitalism than, say, actual sort of pagans. Um, and so you're able to sort of co-opt it. And I find that, I always find that very disturbing when that happens. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see like the shift in everything, I think. Um, you know, it's, I mean, there's parts of it that are, you know, sort of wonderful. Like, I'm glad that people want to work with the tarot. I'm glad that people want to do divination, but to use it in a way that's just sort of like, it's almost like it's not even caring about the client or caring about who takes your class in a way. Whereas, you know, what I'm doing is I'm working very intensely with people on sometimes very deep issues. And, you know, when you get into this and you get into the capitalism of it, it takes away from that and it can be really dangerous. You know, you're working with people one-on-one or teaching them. And if you don't have the right training or if you don't have the sense to kind of like tell someone at some point, um, hey, like, you know, here's like a list of, you know, like therapists that you may want to like check this out or whatever. It just seems like there's this like jumble or this potpourri that's happening where I I actually think people are getting in over their heads. And I mean, there is an oversaturation. And I know like a lot of people have been sort of feeling that and sort of branching out. But it's, there's something that is very wrong with, you know, having this whole sort of like corporate appeal of these, you know, somewhat in certain terms, like ancient practices where, you know, eventually when the fad dies out, these people are going to move on, Mm -hmm. you know, so you're left with like this clientele that is sort of hanging on to something and possibly needs help in like different areas. And, you know, like, for some of these people, like after the fad dies, like they're just going to be like, oh, well, you know, I'm going on to the next thing. Now I'm into this. And I, I feel like that is very dangerous. Yeah, I was reading a um, now that everything is also advice columns and everybody has advice columns as well. Um, I was reading in a, an astrology advice column that somebody was doing, and I guess the only information that they had was that this woman was a Taurus. Um, And her advice question was um, that she's deeply lonely and hasn't been in a relationship for like 10 years or something like that. And their advice was, well, you know, Jupiter's going into Scorpio, so I'm sure it'll be fine. I was just like, that's a really stupid, foolish thing to say to somebody. And um, to say just from your sun sign, oh, you're, you're, you're about to find love when Jupiter goes into Scorpio. And I think that's a really destructive thing to say to somebody. Um, because once Jupiter gets the fuck out of Scorpio and you're still alone, um, then 
then you know you get to the astrologers who are like well you didn't you didn't put yourself out there enough or you didn't open yourself up to the possibilities which i think is just such garbage um sorry i'm going on like a set of a tirade but um <laughs> it's okay <laughs> it made me so angry i would never say that to a client i would never in a million years say um oh yeah you're definitely going to meet somebody next year no absolutely i mean i spent Okay, no joke. I spent about four hours last night um, with a client that has like really intense, like, you know, like trauma. And we just went over this and I was like, okay, let's talk about these, you know, issues and these reoccurring themes and like, let's go really deep. And she's doing a bunch of different stuff with like with therapists and stuff. And I was, you know, and we were going really like deep into it. But I mean, to give someone that advice, be like, oh yeah, just wait until, you know, like <laughs> this thing happens with astrology and everything will be fine. And it's just like, well, no, like, of course what's happening, you know, with the planets is going to affect you in a certain way, but it's more about what you're doing with the self rather than like, mm. oh yeah, just put yourself out there and, you know, or, you know, victim blaming in a way say this person has something that they need to like work with or say they're holding on to an old relationship or say they're doing something where they need to actually work on whatever they're they're doing within their self and you know you're just telling them well you missed that opportunity so like clearly you're the biggest loser you know (laughs) (laughs) and I mean that creates this whole thing where it's just like well what have I done wrong so then you start getting down on yourself because you're like, oh, maybe I should have gone to that beach that one day and I would have met that person. But because I was like, you know, dealing with this other thing, I didn't. And it just seems like there's, there's so much base level, um, sort of like occultism going on or, you know, astrology or, or anything else like in, in that realm. And there's, there's not a lot of like deeper work. I mean, a lot of it too goes back into things like the secret, which, you know, completely, um, you know, change certain things for certain people. And it's great to think positively, but it's also really destructive. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a bout of depression or if you're dealing with something that's really deep, And yes, positive thoughts can go so far and try to uplift you and get you out of the house. But at the same time, they can really like destroy you from the inside because there's that constant thing of like, maybe I'm not good enough or, you know, or the victim blaming where it's like, well, you didn't really think that you deserved it. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. no, I totally deserved it. It just didn't happen. (laughs) 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 But it's not about you know, like this, like self worth thing where this whole thing with like positive thinking and like the capitalism of it, where if you don't get it, it means that, you know, you didn't try hard enough. That to me infuriates me as well. And that, and it's so Protestant too. And I think that there's definitely this huge sort of Protestant edge to sort of contemporary witchcraft as it, as it exists in the mainstream. Um, because I don't think America as as a whole has dealt with the, the really fucked up parts of, the, of Protestantism and um, how it just has its roots in kind of every sort of belief system that we have, um, um, including this idea of, you know, um, we need the freedom to be shot in a you know in a in a in a concert in Las Vegas like we can't possibly um bestow any sort of um uh boundaries on what a person can do uh, even if it's just dealing maths 
death. Um, but um, but yeah, that that whole thing of if something bad happens to you, it's something that that you're sort of in charge of um, is so disturbingly Protestant, and I don't understand why it's not sort of you know um, examined more. But I think it's because mostly what contemporary witchcraft is in in the mainstream is um it's a lifestyle it's not a religion mhm very much so i mean if you look at there's some sort of a satire articles that have been coming out um recently where they're sort of being like, hey, like, are you an Instagram witch? You know, like, and, you know, <laughs> typing it me on all of the, you know, witchy memes and things like that. And it's just, you know, as much as like, I enjoy looking at the other people's posts and being like, oh, witches of Instagram, let me look at that. You know, there's something about it where it's just like, okay, you know, are people putting in the work? And, you know, that's the thing that sort of gets me like everyone can take like a beautiful filtered picture you know you can you can light up your candles and you can do you know whatever you want with that or light up your palo santo or your sage or or whatever and spray on your um you know psychic vampire spray but um you know there's something to the relationship with witchcraft and the occult that you that people don't seem to understand. It's like, it's more than, you know, dressing the part. It's more than gathering like your crystals. It's, and I, you know, I guess this is because like I grew up with it and it was so secret to me that I find it, it, me growing up and having it secret almost seems sacred to me where I was just like, oh wow, like there's this whole thing that, you know, like I'm, I'm a part of and like I said before, I didn't know, but now like, it's just like out in the open and it's, it's just like, oh, we're going to cast spell with these emojis. And I was like, I don't even understand this. Like, I thought we were <laughs> just supposed to like, you know, <laughs> I was like, I, I, you know, here I am in like this world where it's like, you know, someone's in the hospital and like, you're doing an egg cleanse on them and it's like really to save their life. And like, someone's like, yeah, like I got my boyfriend through my emoji spell. And I'm like, I just don't <laughs> understand this. Maybe I'm like lost in time or something. I just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny to me because, um, you know, there there is a sort of a connection between the occult um, and sort of revolutionary history about how many sort of um, early feminists were uh, spiritual mediums um, how many re- even second wave feminists were practicing witches, um, and that definitely co- sort of um, coincided with the the rise of uh, witchcraft in the fifties and sixties. Um, yeah. But also just like the sort of um, magic um, uh, mystery cults in Europe around World War One and so on, um, and that history seems to have been erased to be replaced with these ideas of sort of self-empowerment, of right. getting what you want, um, rather than sort of transforming the self in order to help transform the culture. Right. And I mean, I think people forget too, is a lot of 
the occult practices or divination practices, um, physiognomy, phrenology, a lot of those were practiced by people, immigrants mostly, um, especially immigrants like in the U.S. And I mean, they were outcasts. So you had sort of like these like really rich like debutantes or whatever going to these outcasts and like getting like their fortunes told or their face read. And usually it was during times of war where these women were like, oh, my God, you know, my husband's in the war. Is he going to come back? Is he going to fall in love with someone else? Um, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, to to see it sort of transform like over the years. And I mean, like you said, like, you know, it's part of like major um shifts in feminism and resistance. And, you know, I think that aspect is great, but I, I do think that we need to really look at what was happening, especially as far as like, you know, divination. And that might've even been with like capitalism, like back then with the immigrants, sometimes that was their only form of, you know, financial freedom mm -hmm. um, because they weren't being hired for things, you know, but if they had this sort of gift, there was a lot of, um, Jewish immigrants that would do this and you know and that was like sort of their gift and it was also sort of their curse in a way because they were also never really treated as you know full-on like human beings either it was always like oh you're a party attraction um and you know as time has gone on I mean it's definitely being taken more seriously in in an aspect but there are aspects of it that are still basically like, oh, you're a party favor. Um, you know, part of this is, you know, do you, is this really existing within like the world of like, you know, like science and technology and all of that. But, um, you know, part of the thing that I have that is sort of like troubling to me is that we do need to understand like the roots of all of this. We need to understand the roots of the occult. We need to understand the roots of the people that were working in this profession years and years and years before we were ever born. Um, and then looking at it now and being like, okay, so what is this exactly being used for? Like, you know, it, while there are similarities, you know, Again, going back to the immigrants that were working in these professions, of course, these women were coming to them being like, is my lover okay? And, um, but at the same time, these people were also teaching them to kind of be self-reliant. Um, so, you know, there was this aspect of like, okay, so this is what you're going to do for yourself while this person is at war and this is how you're going to keep strong. So while they were having like these conversations about, you know, like what's going to happen, you know, like with my husband, these people were also giving them very practical advice on sort of how to keep strong, how to keep the household, you know, how to work, you know, different jobs, all of that stuff. Um, and now, you know, it sort of seems like that has been sugarcoated a little bit and a little, it, it's almost like, well, okay, so there's something going wrong in, in your life and like, you know, so take a hot bath and then, you know, do this money working and that should be fine. And it's... <laughs> Right, the like, self-care well, thing, yeah. Right, right, the self-care. And I mean, I'm all for self-care, but at, at the same time, there's there's an aspect of this that you're saying, you know, before that has gotten lost where it very much is about, well, what can this, you know, what can this do for me? And I do feel like a lot of like the 
practices that were practiced like before we were born were all about taking care of the community. Um, and so even though, you know, ha- you have like these immigrants that are all sort of like working in like these different fields, like within like divination and, um, and doing seances and, and things like that, they're also working towards like bettering the community and not just themselves where it seems like right now there's sort of like this singularity where it's just like, Oh, you know, I'm going to do this to benefit me. And while there's certain things that are happening that are, you know, definitely being put out there as far as, you know, trying to like help other people in the world, like there definitely is like this focus on, you know, like me, me, me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it used to be, I mean, starting with, um, uh, the sort of Wicca revival, mm-hmm. um, you know, you would learn the practice through community, um, through right. a coven or a group, and it was, you know, it was free. <laughs> right. Um, but now you take a, a $500 online course um, that's from somebody who probably doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, so even the act of how we learn something um, has, I think, completely changed within um, the occult and, and magic realms. Um, yeah. Right. I, and I think that that changes your mindset. If you're paying for something, I think it, it changes what you want. And I think it also changes what you think that you're entitled to. Right. Well, I mean, there's certain traditions, say, for instance, in Santeria, you are paying for each initiation, but you're also paying for the work that someone puts into making your alekes, the beads. Um, Mm -hmm. You're paying for the house or the community to work your ceremony. So in that case, like, I mean, I think, you know, paying people for the work that they're doing is great. You know, that's why I really believe in that. And I'm like, okay, like, there's people that are taking off work to help you with your ceremony. Like, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, But yeah, the thing that I'm, I am having and taking issue with is, you know, say for instance, like you said, someone takes a $500 course, they finish the course and they're like, great, I'm opening up my business, you know, or after they're open or right in between when they're taking the course, they're also working on their website. And the moment the course is done, you know, like they have their website done, they're like, oh yeah, like I'm an expert on this. And I've always felt that people need to find teachers, um, but they need to find almost like a community of teachers where they do like a learning process for a couple of years. I mean, most of these practices, and I know a few Wiccans, I'm not Wiccan myself, but normally they take like about a year to study under someone and to like do their own thing. And sometimes there's tests, like sometimes they'll go back to the initial, you know, high priestess or priest and they'll be like, okay, I'm ready. I've done this. And the priest will just look at them and be like, oh no, you're not. And so they'll have to take another year. And then if they're serious about it, they'll head back to that priest and be like, no, now I've taken this and I'm, you know, I'm coming to you and, and I want to do this and I'm very serious about it. Um, there seems almost like this lackadaisical, uh, attitude where people are just like, well, I took this course. And so like, now I'm an expert and I'm going to open up this business and I'm just going to like start helping people. And the thing with opening up a business is it can be extremely hard and extremely taxing. I mean, I get emails from people and work with people that have, again, have had like 
horrible trauma or have been raped and, you know, and I'm supplying them with a list of people. I'm supplying them with a list of things that they can do and working with them and working with their doctors and, you know, and it's, it's basically taking this community to kind of work with them and, you know, for someone to just sort of walk into that and be like, oh yeah, I totally know what I'm doing is, is ego based. And I mean, if you look at history and with like occultists, you'll find that a lot of like the really quote unquote great occultists, most of them were taken down by the ego where they Mm -hmm. thought like, oh, yeah, I'm way, you know, powerful. I can totally take this on. And then, you know, of course, like they like over time, like go insane or something. And it's like, eh, no, you probably couldn't take that on. But like, he probably should have been a little bit more humble. Um, but, um, you know, so there's that whole aspect, um, you know, as well. Yeah, I've certainly gotten emails from people asking, you know, how long did it wanting to know how long they had to study the tarot before they could start charging people for tarot card readings, Um, which is just, it's so horrifying to me. That's pretty horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, people who were total beginners had never sort of been introduced to it at all. Um, Yeah, and I guess I could see part of it being um, people who might be interested in the occult and because it was sort of um, forbidden or shameful or uh, et cetera for so long, um, they might not see avenues or they might not see the uh, the information readily available. Um, it, you know, the people who are taking up a lot of the space are, are these kind of uh, charlatans or uh, shallow people. Um, right. And finding real workers takes takes real time and, and research. Um, but oh, how did when did you sort of see the shift happening as far as like for you as a practitioner? Um, I don't know if practitioner is the right word. I don't know like like osteopath or something. Um, <laughs> but um, I was at the doctor today, so that's probably. But um, um, for you, when did it become like something that you? Um, got shit for versus when there was a sort of wider acceptance? Well, growing up, um, I definitely didn't know what I was practicing. I just thought it was, you know, normal everyday life. And I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts. I mean, this is mostly like uh, and Protestant, you know, <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and so I would go to school and the first question they would ask, I think on the first day is like, who here goes to church? And I was the only kid that didn't raise my hand. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, people would have, I use this as an example all the time, but people would have hiccups and I'd be like, oh man, you know, what are you doing? Like, you're not putting the red string around your neck and throwing the key over your left shoulder and putting the knife in the glass of water and drinking it real fast. And they were just like, okay, you're weird. Um, and I was like, no, it works. Um, but I was like, oh, wow, like this is very different. And so in school, I felt like I was a little bit of the outcast, but also a little bit mysterious. And so like kids were kind of nice to me, but kind of not, or if they wanted something, they would be really nice to me. Um, but you know, then growing up and, and going to, um, 
to college and I moved to New York and I started seeing like botanicas and I was like, okay, you know, like there, there's something to this. But again, when I first moved to New York, it was mid nineties and you know, there wasn't an occult store on every corner. There was maybe like two or three in the city. Um, and there was some botanicas in like different sections. And then I started working in a botanica, I think it was around, it must have been around 2005 or 2006 or something like that. And I stayed there for a year or two and it started to become a little bit more normal. But at the same time, when I would tell people that I worked at a botanica or that I was a card reader, they'd still be like, oh, when are you going to find a real job? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I think this is a real job. And they were like, oh, yeah, you'll grow out of it. Don't worry. And I'm like, "Um, sure. Um, So I think around maybe... I want to say maybe like 2009, 2010 is when I really started seeing things kind of opening up and um, people being more accepting of it or more interested in it. And then by 2011, 2012, it had really just sort of like opened up and there was more occult stores happening and people were really getting on the bandwagon of um, hoodoo. And that was getting really, really popular. And that was interesting to me and also a little alarming too. Cause I was like, wow, this is all stuff that has been like really hidden, you know, for years and usually passed down from like grandparents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now you have like these services that will teach you like hoodoo and give you certification. And I was like, and that was kind of like alarming to me in a way where I was just like, wait a minute, like how, how do you get certification into this? <laughs> like, you know, cause someone even asked me, they were like, do you think you'll ever do a certification program? And I was like, I don't think so. Um, you know, what I know was sort of passed down to me and, you know, sometimes I take on students, but you know, it, it, it's, you're not going to be Caitlin certified, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but you know, it, so I think that the really big resurgence started maybe 2010 and it's just sort of built up, um, from there. And now it's, I, it, it's definitely going in waves. I mean, I think the hoodoo craze is starting to kind of die down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I think people are taking back, taking it back and being like, Hey, like, you know, you may be doing like some of these courses courses, and maybe it's a starter course, but like this ain't what my grandmother taught, you, you know? Like, yeah. um, So it, it's an interesting thing to kind of be a part of and to um, witness. Although I always consider myself a little bit on the outskirts of everything. Like I try not to be a part of any one group um, because I, I just sort of feel like my practices are so different from everyone else's and it's very specific to like my family that you know to offer that up as you know like a program would be really weird and kind of disrespectful (laughs) to my family I think (laughs) yeah I mean I guess I go it's not that I go back and forth but I'm a little conflicted on the idea of you know um well, if somebody is curious, well, what's wrong with um, having some place where they can go? Um, 
especially if you're like completely outside of you know if you're if you're if your parents are protestant like mine (laughs) you know well where do you go um but um because there is a kind of um you know like when everybody says you can't buy a tarot deck it has to be gifted to you most of me just says fuck you buy your own tarot deck like just you know oh yeah that there's yeah yeah i bought my first tarot deck yeah me too (laughs) and i was you know i was in um cape cod and i walked into this little witchy store that i had no idea existed and i saw it and i was like that's mine and i was like i'll be damned if anyone says that i have to like wait for someone to buy this for me like i know this is mine (laughs) (laughs) and it was like this weird little box and it was like a used deck and i was like no it and i was looking at other ones and i was like nope this is mine this i know it and that was like my first deck and I, I used it for years and then gifted it to someone else. But, um, you know, it, I do like that there are lecturers and people out there that are giving this information out there. Um, two people that are doing a really great job of it are, um, Al Cummins and, um, and he speaks on like necromancy and like geomancy and, you know, he's a historian and I just think that's, you know, fantastic because he has all of these like facts and like, you know, like history to kind of like, you know, provide during the lecture and his wife, Mallory Vaudois, um, she speaks on Italian folk magic and she's been studying that for a long time. And I love that she studied it like so deeply for so long before she started giving lectures and like, got herself involved with the community and like really immersed herself in it. And like all the elders took her in and I was like, Oh, this is beautiful. Um, and then, you know, my friends at Wolf and Goat, uh, who are really amazing. And, you know, so you have these people that are doing some really great, wonderful lectures. And I, and I do think that they're doing them around, you know, New York city, but in any sort of city that you go to there, there's going to be, um, you know, well, some cities um, mm-hmm. will be someone doing like lectures. And then there's a lot of online um, courses. And I know that they're offering online courses, which I think is really great as well. So I think for people looking to get into this, I mean, what I would do is I would just keep searching. When I found my godfather in Santeria, I mean, it took me years. Mm-hmm. And I just like, was searching and searching, working at Botanicas, trying to like find people. Um, I ended up going to London, having a conversation with someone who was like, oh, you should check out the work of Ochani Lele. And I was like, great. And I read his work and I was like, that's him. That's who I'm going to study with. And I wrote him and he was like, well, let's have a few phone conversations. Let's see if we actually get along. Let's, you know, talk a little bit before we make any decisions. And I was like, yeah, totally. And, you know, he took a while before he was like, you know, he was like, you can ask me to be your godfather. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's time. <laughs> but he took his time with me because he wasn't going to take on just everyone either. You know, he was, he was very much like, I need to have a relationship with you and we need to be, you know, not only friends, but we need to understand each other. And I always felt that that was a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And I also think that any sort of spiritual pursuit should fight against this need for instant gratification. 
of oh, instant knowledge or instant sort of uh, community. I think it should be, I think it should be difficult. I think that there's value in that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first decided to get involved with Santeria, um, I mean, there was a war in my head. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. This is kind of scary. Like this is, it's, it's both wonderful, but I didn't want to jump into it because I was like, can I handle it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can I, can I actually do all the things that, you know, are required of me? And, you know, I really thought about it for a while and, you know, this whole thing of like spirituality is easy. It's not, it really isn't. I mean, it's going to put you through the test. If you look at all of these, um, you know, great spiritual workers, I mean, like going into, you know, say for instance, like Ama, you know, the hugging saint, people are like, oh, it was so great to see Ama. But what they, they're not thinking about is that Ama was an outcast for many years in her life. And it wasn't until she started, you know, like performing like these miracles that people are like, oh, wow. Yeah, maybe we should take her seriously. But she was an outcast that was like stealing from her own family to give to the poor. (laughs) And people were like, yeah, we don't like her. You know, like her family was just like, man, she was born blue with her legs crossed. This is like messed up, you know. (laughs) And meanwhile, like, you know, the spiritual like people of the community are like, wait, this is kind of a sign. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there was a lot of outcasts and like there was a lot of pain and hurt and and you know, any spiritual journey that you're going to go on is going to be filled with these tests. It's going to be filled with these things that are completely going to humble you. And it does seem like right now, I mean, with like companies, like corporations, you know, even like um, practitioners that are, are, you know, starting their business, it almost seems like, and I don't want to like offend anyone, but like, it, it does seem like this. It's, it almost seems like it's ego based where it's like, Mm -hmm. pump yourself up, get this power, like, look at you, you're so powerful and hot now, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and I, I, I do think that people have to remember that, you know, with a lot of these paths, the people that were involved with them were outcasts, were social outcasts, and were, you know, really fighting to remain relevant any way that they could in a community. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, for me personally, growing up Protestant, I really tried to just abandon all of that and, oh, I'll, I'll just be a witch. <laughs> you know, at 16, I got some books, you know, at Walden Books or whatever, and I was like, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to pursue Wicca. Um, but then, like, the only thing that sort of connected and worked for me was learning the mystical and... Um, magical traditions of early Christianity. Um, And that's what totally works for me. And that was only because I finally, after, you know, 10 years or something, uh, found a a Gnostic woman um, who started teaching me. Um, And I feel so blessed that she's in my life. But these things take a lot of time and work. And also, I think, just sort of thinking that you can abandon where you come from like your bloodlines and your family and and your history um, is um is is not actually the smartest way to go about these things no not at all um there's a really wonderful 
healer named uh, Kyer Mons, who I've been working with, and we we work with each other, and that's something that I find like really special too when two healers can kind of work together and like heal each other. And I was like, wow, this is really beautiful. Um, but he deals a lot with trauma, and I mean, he's gone through it himself, and he's made amends, you know, like with like his own ancestry too, which was very much like taken out of, you know, um, his family was very Christian and he was very Christian for a long time. And then realizing like, wait, I have like these like African slaves and I have, you know, these musicians that totally like stepped away from their own ancestry and tried to be a part of this community that just kept pushing them out. And, you know, so he deals with that sort of ancestral um, memory. And I feel like with any sort of spiritual path, like you're going to have to deal with your ancestors, no matter what, you know, you can fight with them as much as you want, but you're going to have to deal with your ancestors. I mean, I have ancestors that I don't want to deal with that I do. (laughs) Um, I mean, I have both Native American and, you know, like pilgrims on each side. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, somewhere down the line, someone either fell in love or got raped, you know, like, (laughs) There's either or here. So I don't really know. Um, But, you know, you're going to have to deal with that darker side. And that's something that, you know, any spiritual practice, like you're really going to have to delve into that. Um, Mallory is actually going to be doing um, an ancestral uh, veneration class. And she was talking to me a little bit. And I was like, yeah, this is great because you're going to delve into the trauma And like the joys of working with the ancestors. And a lot of times when people do that, they absolutely find the path that they're supposed to be on. You know, you can force things as much as you want. But, you know, once you start working with those um, with those ancestors or even just sort of like looking into the history of them and, you know, understanding that, you know, their body DNA is in you, then you will find that path that works for you. Yeah, I mean, we were sort of talking about um, how how many of these little witch shops have shown up in Bushwick, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and how they they seem to be in denial of you know uh, of Bushwick and the history of it, and this idea that you can just sort of you know the the witch gentrifiers, the new sort of witch gentrifiers, and kind of all different um, forms of of the word um, right. sort of gentrifying a actual sort of religion and practice and gentrifying a neighborhood and a history. Um, Yeah, it's, I find it very disturbing. Right. Well, I mean, the history of Bushwick is, is really interesting in itself. I mean, um, part of it was a mob uh, burial ground, basically, where people would be taken on one way rides and, you know, just left there. Um, And then there's a part of Bushwick, too, where it was a lot of immigrants, you know. So you had these people living. I mean, think about those apartments there and, like, think about, you know, how many families were cramming eight, nine people into those, you know, like, those tiny little apartments. And 
there have been some crazy things that happened in Bushwick. There was one where there was a man who was accused of murdering his family. And it turns out it was his wife poisoning everyone in the family because they were so poor and she didn't want him to suffer anymore. And it's like, you know, you have like all of these like very like intricate kind of like stories. And then over time, I remember when Bushwick was mostly Mexicans, um, I think it was like Dominicans and a little bit of like Puerto Ricans, but I think at the time that I was, I was, um, hanging out there, this must've been like late nineties. Um, there was a lot of like Mexican and, and Puerto Rican, um, families there. And I mean, I felt like they were really doing a lot of the healing work for the land. Um, mm. and I do think that people forget the history of the land and they forget that, you know, we're not the first ones to be here. Just because someone's shop is new doesn't mean you can wipe out that history. New York is notorious for paving over things and being like, didn't exist. <laughs> you know, like, see? Um, but, you know, New York was built by slaves. And, and, you know, you have to understand that. And, you know, if you notice certain things happening within a community, say, for instance, you know, alcoholism, you know, part of that is the land memory. Part of that is, you know, a lot of the the history of the immigrants, like drinking just to sort of keep sane or, you know, like a lot of that is embedded in the soil. And so you have to look at what's happening within a community and within a space and just be like, okay, so how do we heal the land instead of trying to like make a profit off these shops? So, you know, or trying to, um, you know, trying to be like, well, you can have whatever you want. And, you know, there's, there's, I feel like there's a huge disconnect with history, land memory, and what's happening right now with, um, with, the occult. I, I almost said scene and I would, like, cringed at that. And I was like, no, that's what it is. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think people forget that there's um, in within embedded within a religious or a spiritual pursuit and an idea of obligation of right. the obligation that you owe to the world and the mm -hmm. way that you exist in it. And that's become very unpopular, I think, because people sort of um, associate it maybe with sort of Christian ideas of uh, celibacy right. and so on, but it is a it is um, that's most of it to me. <laughs> that's most right. of my sort of spiritual practice is an, the obligation I have to the world. Absolutely, and you know, and and for me myself, like it's the obligation to the world and, and to the land. Um, you know, whenever I go anywhere, I'm always looking up the history of the land, and you know, I'll be like, okay, so let me see what I can do here. Let me see if I can like tap into this, and you know, if there is, you know, healing that needs to be done, like let me see if I can kind of like tap into the spirits that are here. Um, you know, and there are some really great like practitioners like in, in Bushwick that are sort of like doing that, but it, there's also a lot of people that are just sort of, um, almost like hungry ghosts where they're just trying to like devour all of this and they're not really tapping into the source. Yeah. There's a hungry ghost cafe, which, um, now that I think about it is, yeah. Is there? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> they sell overpriced coffee. <laughs> 
That's crazy. Oh, dear. <laughs> Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Dog. Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original Dog. podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.